Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your Ophthalmology OCAP Support Review Podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these podcasts are for medical education purposes only, not to diagnose things on anybody's eyes. Each week, we take a high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. This week, we're talking about the ICE syndromes. Okay, ICE, ICE, baby. What All is right. ICE syndrome? <laughs> well, I figured for these uh, syndromic things, because we're going to have future episodes soon on um, the other anterior segment dysgenesis that ICE syndrome is part of, like uh, other stuff like Axenfeld-Rieger syndrome and Peter's anomaly. I figured we'll just follow a usual format about these with starting with their epidemiology then going into their pathophys and then their clinical presentations. Yeah. What does ICE stand for? Let's just start simple. It's iridocorneal endothelial syndrome. And uh, is that is that correct? I actually took that totally for granted. (laughs) I did too. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. I freaking nailed it. Freaking nailed it. Okay. So yeah, tell me about the epidemiology. Uh, How old are people when they get it? And is there any gender predilection? Yeah. So the first thing, even though, you know, we call this a syndrome and my own bias is to always think of these syndromic conditions as something that, you know, is passed down through families with syndromes. And while that's true for some of the other anterior segment dysgenesis, that's not true for the ICE syndromes. Um, So before we talk about whether it's uh, more so in women or men, I just want you to know straight away, there's no familial inheritance pattern for the ICE syndromes. They're actually Mm. sporadic. Hmm. And then to that end, too, it's the second thing I think of is, oh, well, they're all inherited. Therefore, a lot of these are congenital. ICE syndrome is actually not congenital. It usually starts, it presents around between the ages of 20 to 50, which, again, is distinct from some of the other anterior segment dysgenesis like Axenfeld-Rieger's. Oh my God, I, I'm between 20 to 50. Oh, my God, Ben. But you have one thing going for you in that you are male, because ICE syndrome does present more often in women. Mm-hmm. I see. But you do look a little funny, Ben, and uh, that actually also is in your favor for the ICE syndromes because there are no associations with any systemic findings. Okay, I look fantastic. <laughs> I am not syndromic face. <laughs> Don't commit I, that to I memory. I expected you to jump in a lot sooner. Don't. I was like, oh, he's, he's, was not, like, he's not saying anything. I do look special. But not not <laughs> syndromic. That's the epidemiology, just in a nutshell. Ben, tell us a little bit about why it happens. What's the pathophysiology as best people might understand the ICE syndromes? Yeah, so it's basically the corneal endothelium growing where it's not supposed to grow. So it's supposed to be just in the back of the cornea. But there's some speculation. For example, the cornea BCSE says that the endothelial cell may, for some reason, behave more like an epithelial cell. So just like, you know, we'll probably do this in another episode, but epithelial downgrowth is a really, really bad thing for the eye because the epithel- if epithelial cells somehow get into the eye, they'll keep growing and pulling on things and covering things up. Eye syndrome is sort of like that in a sense, except instead of an epithelial cell getting inside the eye and wreaking havoc, it's an endothelial cell that's just behaving like an epithelial cell. And there's another thing that's strange about that endothelial behavior in ice syndromes. There's, you know, always collagenous and fibrillar elements in all corneal endothelial cells, and it's normal for that collagenous and fibrillar stuff to be there. 
But what's abnormal about them in the ice syndromes is that they have these creepy, crawly, little filopodial processes and cytoplasmic actin filaments. So those might be the very reason then why the cells kind of migrate further down into the eye than they ought to. And um, we'll talk about again where the limits are, that they should be, where they should stop kind of in the angle, but they don't, they just keep going. And it could be these kind of like finger-like contractile elements that are helping to migrate them further down. And also when they contract, they cause PAS, which uh, causes a lot of the intraocular pressure problems of the ice syndromes. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, great. So how, what does this actually look like? Um, what, how does this present in a person? Right. So it's always unilateral. And that's a very key distinguishing feature about uh, how dis- keeping it uh, distinct in your mind from the other things like axenfeld riegers which is bilateral. The way I remember that easily is axenfeld riegers has two names in it, two eyes, ice syndrome. Ice is nice, small, compact, I-C-E, <laughs> yeah. so one eye. And then another place that this comes up is in contrast to something called PPMD, which I think we covered in another episode, in the corneal dystrophies episode. Yeah, I think you um, and Amanda talked about it. That's right. Yeah, we, it, it was covered. But to remind you, it's basically almost like a bilateral ice, but this is an actual dystrophy. So we so, review corneal dystrophies if you want to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. So the other thing you may already know about the ice syndromes is that there's three of them. There's actually three clinical variants, all having you know, some mixture of IOP problems due to angle abnormalities and some proportion of iris abnormalities and corneal abnormalities too. But before we talk about, you know, the those three di- kind of distinct clinical entities, let's just talk about the areas of abnormalities. And then we'll talk about which ones are more predominant in which of those uh, clinical entities. Uh, Why don't we start with the corneal endothelium again, Ben, just to talk a bit about how it presents uh, clinically. We've already talked about the pathophysiology of why it's abnormal, but what does that present like in an ICE patient? Yeah, I mean, so again, it's an endothelial cell problem. So the endothelium supposedly looks different, like a, quote, beaten bronze appearance because of that extra kind of membrane growing across the endothelium. And one place that this can be tested is on um, a specular microscopy. Basically, the endothelium, you know, normally it's all these little hexagonal cells that, um, you know, that line the back of the cornea. Because of this membrane, it on specular microscopy, it looks pretty different. So remind you, normally on specular, the endothelial cells look white, and they have basically a kind of a dark border, a dark hexagonal border around them. That's just, you know, the space between the cells. On an eye syndrome, that is reversed. So the outline is white, and the actual cells look dark. So if you get a picture of a spec, and there's things look, look off or different, then maybe the colors are flipped, and that's called light-dark reversal. That's almost pathognomonic for ice syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, and because there's no, um, because there is an endothelial problem, they can even have microcystic edema even without high IOP because there's an endothelial problem, and this is most prominent in the most corneal version of I syndrome Chandler's, but we'll talk about that more in a bit. Yep. All right. The other things that go wrong in the I syndromes are problems of the angle and the iris, and at the angle, you'll get 
peripheral anterior syniche develop, which the characteristic thing for ice syndrome is that they're very high or tall, which means they go past where they should. They go past Schwalbe's line. And uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Ben, do you actually remember what Schwalbe's line is even supposed to be? I know this. It is where the corneal endothelium ends. So it's a line where the um, the stroma joins. It's the, it's the line where the corn. So it is the line where the corneal endothelium ends. It's like a, a sharp demarcating line on gonioscopy. Yeah. Right. So it's of all the different gonioscopic structures. You know, if you, even if you're really familiar and experienced with doing gonioscopy as a resident, you know, in the end, it all boils down to: Do you see scleral spur or not? Or do you see at least trabecular meshwork or not? And a lot of us might forget to look for Schwalbe's line because honestly, it's harder to see anyway, and it doesn't really clinically matter all as much. In this, it does because Schwalbe's line is where corneal endothelium is supposed to halt. Like anything posterior to that, there shouldn't be any corneal endothelium anymore. But in the ice syndrome that corneal endothelium does not respect that border and it just keeps on going down past it. Mm -hmm. So the endothelium membrane, it's kind of migrates down further to cover over the trabecular meshwork a lot of the time, even down onto the iris surface, the far peripheral iris surface sometimes. And again, that endothelium has these abnormally contractile and filipodial elements to it that when they contract, can actually start initiating PAS, the peripheral anterior syniquiae. And because you basically have this little highway from, you know, anterior to Schwalbe's to posterior to Schwalbe's that you shouldn't have, the PAS in ice syndrome is high or tall. It goes up a lot higher onto the corneal endothelium than you usually see uh, for other things. Now, you uh, don't actually have to have the PAS have high intraocular pressure, you can just have the endothelial membrane that covering the TM, and that covering might be enough to inhibit the outflow. If it's still kind of early in the syndrome and before that endothelial overhang has really developed into a PAS, you might have high IOP without obvious PAS, but it's still the same problem. That's, uh, how about the uh, yeah? How about the iris, Ben? Moving so, a little down further along that. So the iris can have lots of atrophy, including things like translumination defects or just even frank holes. It's not clear how this relates exactly to the endothelial membranes, but that's what we can see. The endothelial mem- membrane, though, can definitely pull the whole pupil into an eccentric position. Uh, Andrew, what is that called again? When the pupil is pulled over. That is correctopia. That is correct. Opia. Opia. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for writing in the joke. This is correct. I, uh, I felt pressure I have to, to take them where follow I get them. <laughs> I felt pressure to say it. And you see how going... stupid it sounds when somebody else writes it? <laughs> hmm. Don't compare the quality of our joke ever. Okay. So, um, uh, so all, to go along with that as well, we can get ectropia and uva, which is where the iris pigment epithelium, which is normally posterior on the iris, gets pulled around so that you can see it anteriorly. So you'll see like kind of the darker stuff on the pupillary um, margin of the pupil um, being pulled across. There's a bunch of things that can cause this. Basically anything that can 
kind of pull on the iris, such as regressed neovascularization. The iris can cause this, but ice is definitely one of them. Yeah. Maybe someday we'll have like a differential episode just for, for yeah, different physical signs, and that yeah. could be one of them. That'd be a great one. Like, uh, yeah, we, the board review thing we want to do. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So what are the, like, eyes for mouths, like an eyes oral um, board review? <laughs> <So>. Kind of. <laughs> all right. So we've dragged you through all the three different clinical, you know, areas in which eye manifestations of eye syndrome can manifest. So what are the three different clinical entities, the different combinations these can present in? The three main variants are, number one, essential iris atrophy. Number two, Chandler syndrome, and number three, Kogan Reese syndrome. Uh, ben, you want to start us off with a brief walkthrough of essential iris atrophy, like between the iris, the angle, and the corneal problems. Which is it more of? I guess the name thanks essential the iris atrophy would kind of give it away, right? Yeah, yeah, think, thanks for the softball. Yes, yeah, so this one is predominantly corneal. I'm not joking. It's at- no. iris atrophy. Yeah. Right. Um, so all of these can have some manifestations of all the things we just talked about, but this one's mainly iris. So, you know, they can have uh, the quarktopia, the francolis, translumination defects. It can cause the coloration to be lightened, so they can have heterochromia. And remember, ice is unilateral, so it's only the one eye is going to be affected, so the other eye will remain normal. Which is why they end up looking like they have heterochromia. Right, yeah. right. What about Chandler syndrome? What that? Chandler syndrome, you cannot believe how much I tried to relate this in a memes format somehow to friends, but uh, couldn't come up with anything helpful. Uh, Chandler syndrome is the most common variant of the ice syndrome. It's like up to 50% of the ice syndromes. And uh, maybe you might figure Chandler C for cornea. It's actually just mostly cornea. Uh, with an arguable amount of angle problems, the iris, though, is mostly fine. Think of it primarily as just the corneal problems, that micro, the microcystic edema, the beaten bronze appearance, the uh, need to treat with you know hypertonic saline stuff, maybe not as much pressure or iris problems. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just uh, go on to wrap it up with Kogan-Reese syndrome. There is one thing we haven't mentioned, and I figured we'd save it for talking about Kogan-Reese syndrome because that's the only place it gets talked about. You can also get little tan pedunculated iris nodules on the surface of the iris. Uh, Sometimes they're not, you know, very frankly pedunculated. Sometimes they're just diffuse pigmented lesions on the surface of the iris. All of these are thought to be, again, caused by endothelial contraction, endothelium that's made it onto the surface of the iris, contracting it up into a little mound of a nodule. Um, I remember this because this is very typically just seen in Kogan-Reese syndrome. That's the only place it's really mentioned, not ever in Chandler's, not ever in essential iris atrophy on the textbooks. But uh, So I remember thinking of it as Reese's pieces are on the iris surface, and um, we do have a substantial international community that's uh, as among our audience. That's just a kind of candy. I don't know how far. What is that? I think th- I. You know, Nestle's I would bet. Reach? I would bet that the ex- the 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 tentacles of Reese extend across the globe. So uh, yeah. you know, if if you haven't heard of um, Reese's Pieces, you can tweet us, and we'd be interested to see kind of what the the extent of their marketing arm is. But or, I, I well, would bet. Well, yeah, I mean, I was a little. Uh, I was. 
I wanted to make a joke about American multinational conglomerates, but I oh, didn't want to give them any sorry. advertising. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no free pub, no free right, pub. Right, right, right. So um, yeah. we will, we will, we have not sold out to big chocolate. <laughs> so our mnemonic is generic chocolate peanut butter <laughs> candy pieces, <laughs> right? Or Kogan Reese syndrome, which uh, which helps <laughs> you get away with C for Chandler's being C for cornea, even though Kogan Reese is also C. Exactly. Uh, no free pub. Uh, no free pub yeah. here. Our mnemonic is generic chocolate peanut butter candy <laughs> pieces. Oh my gosh. All right. Okay. How do you treat this? It's the uh, usual stuff with problems with corneal swelling and uh, the usual problems with corneal swelling and IOP reduction. You just treat it with drops, the IOP lowering drops, the hypertonic saline drops, and surgery if you have to. Some subtleties of both, well, mainly the glaucoma treatment, though. For the cornea stuff, you, you, yeah, you can do penetrating keratoplasty. You can do just decimase stripping keratoplasty per the cornea book. Those are totally legit. The glaucoma surgical interventions are a little trickier because, number one, you might wonder if anything like laser trabeculoplasty is useful. It's not. Um, again, remember that works more in pigmented presentations and there's not really any pigment to this endothelial overreach of the angle and you also the other thing that's mentioned in the books is that you can do a trab a trabeculectomy but they do have a tendency to fail earlier than usual because the endothelium just plasters itself right back over the Mm. uh, the fistula that you make that doesn't mean you have to do a tube shunt though because uh you can actually blast that thin endothelial membrane away with a yag laser and then restore your trab again so you know if they don't have great conjunctiva to do the tube with then you you don't have to completely rule out a trabeculectomy i figured to wrap up the episode um we'll again talk about axenfeld rieger in a later episode but because there's so much confusion often between these two entities, ICE syndromes and the Axenfeld-Rieger stuff, I figured we could pepper in these quick factoid distinctions between these in both episodes. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, hit it. All right. Uh, So maybe four things. Number one, ICE is sporadic, whereas Axenfeld-Rieger is autosomal dominant. And real quick, again, we'll repeat these in both episodes. Axenfeld-Rieger, autosomal dominant with mutations in the PIDX2 and FOXC1 genes. Again, we'll talk about that stuff later. You want to do number two, Ben? I've been talking fine. for a while, sorry. No, fine. No, <laughs> fine. Fine, I'll do number two. In ICE, the corneal endothelium goes past Schwalbe's line, so it continues beyond it. In Axenfeld-Rieger, the Schwalbe's line is actually anteriorly displaced. So instead of the endothelium moving posteriorly in axenfeld Riegers, the um, the line stops more anteriorly, which is called a posterior embryotoxin. A little yeah. confusingly. So I think of this, sorry, I should have mentioned it earlier. The corneal endothelium is kind of moving from anterior to posterior in ice syndrome, almost like an icicle hanging down from the ceiling. Uh, whereas in axenfeld Riegers, it's coming like the Schwalbe's line is way up higher, further anterior than it should be. So it's like coming from the ground up instead. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, this is more easy. Ice is unilateral, like we said, and Axenfeld-Rieger is bilateral. Yeah, just and, like PPMT. Yep, yep, yep. And number four, very uh, helpful, Axenfeld-Rieger does have other systemic problems, whereas ice syndrome is just the eye. 
the one eye. <laughs> the one eye. Yeah. Um, cool. I, I have a little bitty on differential for Kogan Reese nodules. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can just say it and then we yes, can keep please. it or not. Um, so there's a bit of a differential though for little bumps on the iris and there's actually not many things that cause that. So here's what I've got. One is iris mammalations. So um, this is these are like little bumps. They're usually a little bit finer looking than Kogan Reese nodules, but critically they're the same color as the underlying iris, unlike Kogan Reese, which tend to be more tan. Um, and uh, iris mammalations are seen in oculodermal melanocytosis with nevus of Oda. So that's a, a different thing. So you, you should look for nevus of oda to to see um to help differentiate unilateral um, nodules in the iris the other thing are um our lish nodules which you'll remember are the little nodules that can show up in neurofibromatosis type one usually between starting between the ages of five to ten but the one key difference is this is a systemic problem so they should be bilateral um, and you know they occur in children younger than people who get ice, and it should be bilateral. The last thing are brush field spots, which are just little. They're typically hypopigmented or blue spots on the iris, but and that's associated either with just being normal, like you know it doesn't have to be with anything, or with Down syndrome. They tend to have more brush field spots. There's something. There's a long name for what we call a pseudo brush field spot, which is just in people with really blue irises, but that shouldn't be tested on. So in summary, the differential for iris nodules are Kogan-Reese nodules, which you just talked about, are, um, gen- you can remember as generic chocolate peanut butter pieces. There are um, iris mammalations with oculodermal, oculodermal melanocytosis, which are um, not tan in color. They're the same color as the underlying iris. And Lish nodules, which should be bilateral and appear younger. Sounds good. Um, okay. Thanks, Andrew, for that great review of uh, eye syndromes. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with number four. And uh, we also have our website, www.eyes4ears.com. It's been a while since I updated it. Sorry, Ben, it's updated now. Oh, yeah, no worries. Yeah. And if you'd like to support podcasts, really helps us leave a rating review on Twitter as we approach OCAP season coming up. Um, and next week, we'll hit you back with Axenfeld Rieger Syndrome and his associates. Bye. All right. Bye. Okay. Dope.